Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast in which we chat about everything Star Trek The Next Generation. We're your co-hosts, Baz Greenland and Jeff Owen. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Baz. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, We try and record these a couple of months ahead, don't we? So while I'm recording this, the sun is shining, things slowly getting back to normal a little bit out, out of the world and uh, been out with the ice cream with the kids today. So yeah, feeling, feeling pretty, feeling pretty good. What about yourself? Yeah, it's... Yeah, not too bad. I mean, um, really take us into the timeline. It is uh, a bank holiday as well. Mm. So um, we've got a surprisingly in Wales, we've got a pretty nice bank holiday. The sun is shining and uh, we can actually do things. (laughs) Yes, for for those who don't know, we're both from Wales. Even though um, Jeff and I, we podcast online, we actually are, we're not quite down the road, but we're not far away from that either. We're both in South Wales. So uh, maybe we'll do a live podcast one day. (laughs) Um, hopefully, yeah, because we've never met yet. No, we haven't. No, it's all on. Horror Suite podcaster Kyle is um, down the road for me as well. So maybe at some point in the future, we'll have to do some kind of live get together podcast thing going on as well. That would be fun. When the Comic Con starts up again, we'll have to do something. Absolutely, yes, so. yes. We, we are your self Wells podcasters there for that. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Last time we went into your Guilty Pleasure episode, Genesis, which was a lot of fun. This time, in our fifth episode, we're going to take a little bit different again, because we're not just looking yeah. at particular episodes here. So this time, we're going to be talking about the career of Ron D. Moore, who's a fantastic writer and producer, who, of course, got his big break on Next Generation. So Ron D. Moore has produced a huge amount of really great TV. Obviously, he worked on Next Gen... DS9, very briefly on Voyager. And of course, his big show was the reimagining of Battlestar Galactica and... uh... And he yeah. continues to this very day, yeah. So he's a great writer and does a lot of lot of a uh, lot of great work for TV. So uh, we're going we're going to be delving into that, you know, predominantly looking at his TNG episodes, but you know, maybe look a bit more about his career as well. Yeah, exactly. We've um, we've uh, picked a couple of episodes uh, that we want to talk about, but we are, yeah, as you say, going to be talking about his wider career outside of Next Generation and outside of Star Trek as well. So we're uh, we're going to be having a a quick look at his. Uh, post star trek career as well we are yes so we've both picked a couple of episodes each so um we've picked the ones that he's done as a writer because obviously ron d moore has he obviously as as one of the staff writers on the show from season three he's been involved in a lot of episodes he's um written a lot of scripts where he's not necessarily created the story but he's written a lot of scripts some he's there Mm -hmm. as a full writer where he's done the whole end-to-end process and maybe a couple there where he's just more on the story design as well. So we've gone for the ones, we kind of picked the ones where he was kind of the full creative force in a sense, you know, the ones where he was a writer. So the story is, is essentially his and, and the script itself. So, um, yeah, I, I picked two episodes. So I went with season three episode of The Defector. I didn't go with the first one, The Bonding, because actually Gem and I covered that quite a bit in the uh, Mental Health podcast a couple of mm-hmm. months ago. But So I've gone with The Defector. Uh, again, family we covered before. So I've also gone with the epic Klingon Civil War 2 part of Redemptions part 1 and 2 and uh, you picked two episodes too didn't you Jeff? 
Yeah, absolutely. I picked the first duty from season five, I want to say. It's five, yeah. And the Pegasus uh, from season seven, two, uh, two of my favourite episodes from uh, from Mr. Moore. Yeah, they've got a good theme running for those episodes as well. So, yeah, but there's, there's so many he's done. I mean, if you look at his look at TNG, he's, um, as a writer, he's worked on um, season three, The Bond and the Defector, season four, Family in Theory, The Redemption 2 part in season five, The First Duty, uh, Next Phase, Relics, the one with Scotty, which is a great episode there, Tapestry, which obviously we covered a little bit in our Q podcast in episode two, and The Pegasus, yeah. Journey's End. He worked on the script for All Good thing, Things as well. And... Um, He's also worked actually on the script itself. He's done, you know, to ruin them off. Yes, his Enterprise, Sins of the Father, Chain of Command Part One. You know, there's some big episodes here, and uh, of course, the screenplays for Generations and First Contact. And I think uh, we could have put the movies, but I think we've probably spent all day just talking about the movie as well. So we're going to save those for particular podcasts, aren't we? Yeah, we, we want to obviously spend some time on on the films. Don't just want to give short shrift to each of the movies even nemesis yeah, at some point we want we want to give a full you know proper decent chat about those films when we get to them definitely but of course we're, we're going to focus on on well five episodes because redemption is a two but well, we cheat a little bit do we know I, I picked two there i picked the two parts but yeah we're, we're, we're going to so we're going to focus on those episodes the defector redemptions part one and two the first duty and pegasus and one from his ds9 because why not you know there's no chance we're going to talk about yeah. ds9 so yeah, before we get into the episodes then, so obviously Rowandy Moore came on board during season three, which was around the time Rick Berman took over and there was that noticeable change in the way that Next Generation worked, doesn't there? Yeah, his way of coming into the show was a little bit different because obviously there's a lot of things about the open, open script policy that they had in Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek DS9. Star Trek Voyager. I don't know if it went on into Enterprise. I think they sort of closed it down by then. But I think uh, so, yeah. But do you know how um, how his first script ended up in the hands of Gene Roddenberry? Well, I know, was he, his first script was the Bonding, wasn't it? It was the Bonding, yeah. Yeah, the one with 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 the death of a child. Um, say which Gem and I covered in the mental health mm-hmm. one. It's a quite a really. I think it was a. I think it's one of. Um, Next Gen is more underrated episodes, actually. is a yeah. really good meditation on, on the nature of death in that episode. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm not normally one for the kiddie episodes, but um, that one is, is very, very hard-hitting. So, yeah, I do like that one. Yeah, so I understand he was two weeks away from joining the United States Navy uh, when he heard about getting involved in the show. Is that right? Well, he was dating a member of the Star Trek Next Generation production staff at the time. And he was he was a big Star Trek fan. He was a bit, big Battlestar Galactica uh, fan as well. But um, he kept twisting the arm of his girlfriend saying, come on, get me on the set, get me on the set. And she eventually relented and gave him a tour. And while they were on the tour, he had a script with him, uh, the script for the bonding, which he'd written ready. And while they were doing the tour, a member of the production team walked past. I think it was one of Gene Roddenberry's script editors or whatever. And he said, ah, can I give you this, please? And they put him in touch with an agent. The agent then got him through the regular channels. It took them nine months to do, but uh, he eventually got his script sold. And within just a couple of years, he ended up as not just a writer on the show. He became a script consultant and a producer. So, you know, he's (laughs) 
he really had an incredible journey into um, into television writing. And before that, he sold nothing. He he'd done nothing in regards to television production, writing, anything like that. And Star Trek: The Next Generation was his very first professional writing gig. Well, what a story! Because yeah, I mean, he is one of the kind of for me for one of the leading voices in that kind of Rick Berman era of Star Trek, particularly the the Klingon law. I think uh, mm. I think he he really helped shape how the Klingons were developed yes. over the course of the next generation DS9, really. And I mean, and he only did a couple of Voyager, but even one of those, well, he, he wrote one script and he developed the story for another one with Belana Torres. And even that's a quite a Klingon mm. um, mythology-focused episode. So yeah, he really, really shaped you know, how we perceive the Klingons. I think the only, the, the, the next noticeable change really is when you get to the Klingons in Discovery, which is <laughs> probably a whole other, other conversation to, to be had. But yeah, he, he did some amazing work there. I mean, obviously, he started Next Generation again, continuing to DS9. He did some absolutely amazing episodes on DS9 as well, yeah. and uh, and then briefly on The Voyage, and uh, before that kind of fell apart, <laughs> I guess. And then, um, but yeah, and did, did two movies, and then um, went on to uh, create the Almighty Battlestar Galactica as well, which is one of my favourite shows. It's uh, you know, along with things like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, and uh, the often mentioned Babylon Five. I mentioned in, in our first <laughs> podcast, you know. Battlestar is now one of my kind of favourite sci-fi shows and um, mm. some tremendous work there as well. I think that was him. You know, all the, he almost felt like with Battlestar was everything he'd learned in Next Generation and particularly DS9, he then took that and then crafted this kind of powerful, amazing amazing series, which kind of was in some ways a pinnacle of 21st century sci-fi, which was Star Trek kind of fell away didn't it in the mm. 21st century it was the it was a it's high in the 90s really but uh certainly yeah i think you learn a lot from his work on star trek and uh to create to create that show yeah and and i think to be honest even if your knowledge of star trek is is more basic than well maybe those of us that are a bit more into it you're going to recognize some names from the writing teams uh from star trek uh, obviously, everybody's going to know who Gene Roddenberry is, and then you've got your likes of Gene Kuhn and Rob Robert Jessman from the original series. Next Generation, you've got your Brandon Braga's, you've got your Joe Manoskis, you've got your Maurice Hurley's, and and of course you've got Ron D. Moore. And mm. you know the fact that his career has just gone on from there, and we haven't yet talked about anything like Roswell High or Carnival or Mission Impossible 2 or any of these. Yes, because he, 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 he collaborated with Brennan Braga on the story for Mission Impossible 2. Yes. So yeah. there's just so much to his career. Um, and it's he's making programs now for Apple TV. I think it's... I haven't seen it, but I think it's called... Is it For All Mankind? Yeah, I actually checked out the first episode. Um, I, I hadn't seen much of it, but it's, it's, it's an alternate reality episode with the idea of what happens if the Russians beat the Americans to the moon by a couple of weeks and oh. kind of how that changes things. It's really, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the alternate reality series on Amazon. Uh, the Man in the High Castle. I haven't seen that yeah, one either. Kind of, in the sense of how things change and just looking at that first episode, it's very, you know, very well done and, and very it, it, it puts everything in a, in a slightly bleak, very different light, and it's, it's got such potential. It's definitely definitely a series that I'm I'm interested to keep to keep watching. So, uh, yeah, that that's his kind of his latest endeavour, and of course, Outlander as well, which is another big historical uh, kind of historical fantasy. Well, fantasy in the sense it's more of a time travel thing than an actual 
goblins and elves thing. It's 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 an historical drama with kind of a bit of a time travel t- twist as well. And Outlander's very popular as well. So mm. he's continuing to make big shows today and, and and doing really well for himself. Yeah, I um I hadn't seen an episode of Outlander, but I know um a year or so ago I know it won an internet poll against the likes of Stargate, which surprised me because I thought well, I'm a bigger fan of Stargate than Outlander, <laughs> but um, but yeah, Outlander just completely walked it. So that's a, another show I'm going to have to check out to see what it's like. Yeah, absolutely a lot. In the meantime, yeah, continue with our next gen DSM episodes, and I'm and I'm currently halfway through rewatching Battlestar. So yeah, there are great stuff there to watch. <laughs> Okay, shall we get into some of his work then? We'll, we'll touch upon some of the awards he did and, and how he's progressed, but let's kind of get into that first episode then. So we'll start with The Defector. So this, I believe, this was his second script for the show, and I believe this is the one that actually earned him a place in the writing staff of, the, of Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, I think he did a bit of script polishing, possibly on another episode, but I can't remember what that one is off the top of my head. It was like an uncredited rewrite or something. I mean, certainly would have, he certainly would have worked on Yesterday's Enterprise and Sins of the Father during, during yeah. season three as well. So yeah, they're big episodes. Sins of the Father, of course, is the episode that really kind of kicked off the whole the Klingon civil war and, and dishonor and the corruption of the Klingon Council and war's relation to all that as well. So that's the biggest episode. Now, Yesterday's Enterprise, which we said is our you know our, our favorite episode and one that we're going to cover in a lot of detail soon as well. But he worked on those scripts as well. Yes. So yeah, he worked on big scripts from from the word go really. And uh, the Defector was the first one has the second the second one was a writer. So yeah, he worked on those scripts. The Bonding was his first script as a full writer. So earned to him story and and tell play. And of course, then we have the Defector as well, which is well, that's, that's episode ten of ten of the series. So it gets all around the same time. But um, but yeah, this is this is um a big. It's a really good Romulan episode. It's um for me, I think it's probably my favourite Romulan episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Actually, this rewatching it uh, for this podcast, mm. there's so much good stuff in, in this episode. It, it yeah, I uh, I can't disagree with you. Um, and to think that this was his second script his second full career script and it is such mm, it's amazing yeah it, it it resonates so much because the the whole thing with admiral jarrock and you just don't realize who he is until about two-thirds of the way through and i'll be honest when i was watching it i i did have it confused in my mind with another episode which i think was the enemy but as i was watching it i was thinking all right okay yes yeah it's it, that's a precursor to this one yeah um because i kept thinking of uh, the, the wharf scene um with trying to help save the um the romulan's life and i was thinking no that's not this episode and he won't give blood yeah. yeah but i realized as i was watching it it was a completely different episode but nothing yeah. you know not to take it uh, anything away from this episode it's I I can't I can't speak highly enough of this episode. It is mm. such a great drama, such a great story, and yeah, the mystery of who this Romulan is and what he's hiding and, and everything. And particularly when you get to the point where they go into the neutral zone and finally trust him, take him on face value, and actually say, "Yeah, let's go there," and there's nothing there. 
Yeah, there's so many twists yeah. and turns. So yeah, IMDb describes this when a Romulan officer defects the Federation with a warning of an impending invasion. Captain Picard struggles to decide if he is to be believed, and I think that that kind of sums up quite nicely. Mm. It's it's there's the idea of this Romulan who at first seems to be quite a low-level officer, and then I guess as as it exposes this kind of high-ranking admiral, Admiral Jarok, and um, played by James Sloan or Sloyan. Sloyan, I think it is James Sloyan. Sloyan. He's so he's such a great actor, and mm. I think he's the first of really many Star Trek roles, really. And there is this whole, this is this is palatal tension running throughout the episode. You know, Ron D. Moore described it as the Cuban Missile Crisis in the neutral zone. You can really feel that. You've got the idea of what if the Romans are building a secret base, and he's going to expose it. And if Picard does nothing, then the Federation can be invaded. If he does, if he does expose it, then there's probably going to lead you to all-out war already. And he's kind of on his own in the frontier without really the backup. I mean, there is, there is, the, there is the admiral that he engages with during the episode, mm. but really because out on his own here, basically trying to ascertain what the level of threat is to the Federation. And, it, and it's big, it's huge. And it's, there's so much tension, the threat of war running throughout the episode. And, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's very well done. Yeah. Th- that's it. I mean, you do genuinely feel that the Federation is on brink of war throughout the entire episode. And you get certain moments as well of um, when you get Geordie rubbing his hands, thinking, oh, we're finally going to get a look at Romulan technology, a Romulan ship. And as soon as, you know, the words aren't even out of his mouth and the ship blows up, um, he goes, well, yeah, I'm, I may be defecting, but I'm not a traitor. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, he's he's obviously still going to be missing his homeland, but he knows there's bigger things at stake. And yeah, he's um, such a great character. Well, exactly. That's it. He, he has his morality and conviction mm. while also being live, lying deceitful. I mean, it's a great way of describing the Romans in general. There's, I think it's probably the, obviously the enemy did come first and you, you'd had the neutral zone, which revealed them with their return at the end of season one. But I think this is probably the first episode that really kind of, Builds and Picard's relationship with the Romulans goes yeah. all the way through to Star Trek Picard as well. There's um there's a real sense there, and particularly with Tomaluk, and obviously Tomaluk played by Andreas Katsoulis, who is amazing. Andreas Katsoulis, you know, me as a Babylon Five <laughs> fan, knowing him as Jakar is, you know, Jakar is one of my favorite characters of all time. Tomaluk, Tomaluk wasn't in Star Trek the Next Gen era near enough for me. No. He um this was his second episode, I think. It's probably his last episode, actually, where he's there in the present day. He they do bring him back for a couple of alternate future episodes. I think I think it's um, it future imperfect. Obviously, all good things. He's all good things, and then the episode with uh, Riker future well, imperfect. season four. But yeah, future imperfect, which is another great episode. Mm. You know, he's Tomalak is is another great character, and it's his adversary for for um, Picard. Two Romulan warships uncloaking. Coordinates. Shield holding. Damage. Minor damage in the secondary hull. Power transfer fields may be pitched off. I'm working on it. Captain. Not yet, Mr. Wolf. This is just a tap on the shoulder. Or we wouldn't be here talking about it. The Romulans are hailing us. On screen. Captain Picard, I hardly expected to see you again so soon. It seems this time you are the one who has made an aggressive move across the neutral zone. Commander Tomalok, 
As I'm sure you already know, we were responding to warnings of Romulan incursions at Nelvana 3. Uh, but Captain, as you can see, there is no incursion. You know, the way he threatens to bring the whole back, the whole of the, of the Enterprise back into the capital, and there's kind of all these double bluffs with Picard. It, it's so well done because Tom Luck is so dangerous. Yeah. And and the Romulan warbirds are imposing, and the whole, it's, again, it's this tension, this threat. It, it's, it's great. And, uh, and of course, that final double bluff with the Klingons, which is just makes for a really thrilling finale as well. Yeah. And um, can we talk as well about. Romulan ships, because I love the warbirds. The, the Dideridex class warbird is my favourite ship in any iteration of Star Trek. That is the best yeah, looking ship, great. in my opinion. But it's beautiful, isn't yeah. it? It's beautiful and it's menacing and uh, it's grandiose. It it looks like a warbird, which is great. You know, you see the the old classic ones, and even the birds of prey, the Klingon birds of prey, they kind of look like that. But this is one that is impressive and grand, and it's beautiful and deadly in equal measure. I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, that that Romulan ship and that very first credit uh, sequence as well, where you've got it chasing that smaller Romulan vessel as well. And yes, yeah. I, I can't get over how uh, how pretty those ships are. <laughs> <laughs> they are amazing, yeah. I'd love to see them again. Yeah. Definitely. It was the first episode of the 90s as well, the first episode that aired in the 1990s, and I think what a way to usher in what was the golden age of Star Trek as well. I hadn't realised that was the first episode from yeah. the 1990s. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. First of January. You can't get any earlier than that, can you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What an episode. Yeah, it, it, it's a great episode. And for... I say I thought that the bonding was good, but the bonding was low key. This is a big episode, and the fact that you know Von D. Moore was working on this while also you know polishing the scripts for Yes's Enterprise and Sins of the Father, you know, big big episodes for someone who was you know you, you said was hadn't had anything, so I hadn't sold a script before. It, it just shows that talent they had from the word go as mm. well. Yeah, and that's a brief look at the defector. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're going to keep these short and sweet because there's so much in his career, but we've wanted to draw out so, you know some of our favourites really. Is it? Yeah. Shall we just quickly go through the episodes leading up to that as well? Just say yes. Okay. A okay. quick list okay. of the episodes that he's done because obviously, yeah, after the bonding, there's a lot of episodes he uh, he wrote for uh, during that time, either uh, as a story editor or for teleplay. But just looking at his IMDb credits after the Defector, we have mm. got. Yesterday's Enterprise, Sins of the Father, Allegiance, Captain's Holiday, Tin Man, Hollow Pursuit, The Most Toy, Sarek, Menage a Trois, a Menage a Trois even, Transfigurations, The Best of Both Worlds, The Best of Both Worlds Part 2, Family, Suddenly Human, Remember Me, Legacy, Reunion, uh, Future Imperfect, Final Mission, The Loss, Data's Day, The Wounded, Devil's Do, Clues, First Contact, Galaxy's Child, Night Terrors, The Nth Degree, Cupid, The Drumhead, Half a Life, The Host, The Mind's Eye, and in theory, episodes which he either wow. edited um, as a story editor or wrote the teleplay. Bearing in mind that only a year before he'd submitted his first script to Star Trek The Next Generation. Wow. That, that's basically like listing off the list of greatest episodes of Next Gen. That's season four, <laughs> I think. That's pretty much everything wow. in season four. That, he had that, is a, that is a stunning repertoire of episodes to work on, yeah. and uh, again, that speaks to his talent. Really, just how much he'd he'd worked on. Yeah, he'd been involved in, in 
so many episodes and uh, it, yeah that, that, that that's 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 terrific yeah and then we got to redemption yeah, so Redemption and Redemption Part 2. So it's the yes. season four cliffhanger, which is a very different cliffhanger to season three. So season three, obviously, was was the Borg and the best of both worlds. Season four finale, I'm Redemption Part 1, and the INDB describes it as both Captain Picard and Lieutenant Worf must decide where their priorities lie as the Klingon Empire descends into a bitter civil war. So this is the uh, kicking off of the uh, Klingon civil war, and really the kind of the culmination of some of those storylines running from sins of the father and reunion well particularly around Juras and mm. kayla and wharf's honor so this is a quite quite a big finale but in a kind of very different sense to best of both worlds and it was the first time really um going through all of those episodes that star trek had any kind of ongoing story arc particularly when you got to the end of sins of the father and they said yeah wolf is going to lose his honor and they went well what's going to happen then does he get it back at the end of the episode and i said no he's he's going to lose his honor and it's going to take him a while over a few episodes or seasons to get that back so they've gone all the way from that uh, season three episode all the way up until the end of season four because you obviously had the the events from reunion in the meantime and then it took until redemption before we started seeing anything about Worf getting his honour back. And he even resigns from Starfleet to try and get his yes. honour back over the course of this episode, over the course of this two-part episode. Absolutely, yeah. According to Michael Pillar, actually, this was originally conceived as the cliffhanger of the third season, mm-hmm. but was delayed a year to make way for Best of Both Worlds, which um, is another one of the best. But I think redemption isn't as strong as best of both worlds i think there's, there's quite a gap but there's some there's some there's some great work in here and you, you write about that kind of ongoing storytelling the ongoing story arc really that seeds through next gen if there's you know you've got, got loose things like the romulans you know the, the defector did reference the enemy and there's a few little things going on there but they're very much like loose skirmishes and intrigue going on with the romulans there's nothing really significant there whereas the borg have their moments and more about picard's trauma around that but again they're not nothing made they're more like episodes that just happen to be sequels to the other whereas this was great because this was this would not have worked if you hadn't had the MOC you hadn't had Sins of the Father yeah. you hadn't had Reunion which you know seeded in Juras who was killed in, by Worf in Reunion had seeded in Galwan who appeared in Reunion as well so yeah it, it's very much the sense of things coming to a head yeah and um, in regards to syndicated TV programs from the late 80s and early 90s doing something like this was was a huge risk for star trek star trek the next generation obviously the original series didn't do anything like this at all they they recovered the events from the cage when they had to save money and do the cage as the menagerie but mm-hmm. other than that that was really the only time that any previous mission had been referenced in the original series or oh, you did get an anima- animated series callback uh, when they went back to the Shoreleaf planet. Oh, and I suppose you could say they also did The Guardian of Forever. But it took until three seasons in for Next Generation to do anything like it. Yeah. And we were a little bit critical in our, in our first episode about how Next Gen didn't do as much in series continuity as we were like. It was very episodic in nature. Mm. But you know, this, is a, this is trying out continuity in story arcs. You know, DS9 
had all that and had the things we loved about that, but it wouldn't have worked if Next Generation hadn't got there first. And and Rondi Moore was very much involved in a lot of that DS9 arc, particularly when the Klingons came in in the Dominion War as well. Yeah. He was very, very instrumental, probably one of the people essential to building that storyline. But it's, it's episodes like this which really set, set that up nicely. Yeah, and obviously when um, Rick Berman and Michael Pillar were focusing more on Voyager, it allowed Ira Stephen Bear and Rondi Moore to then just go, right, okay, let's do what we want with Deep Space Nine. And they sort of had their own little play area. Yeah, absolutely. And what a play area it was as well. <laughs> but yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah, so going back to this one, obviously mm. this is the this episode sees um, Gowan's rise to power and really ties up that Picard's role as Arbiter of Succession, which has been going since mid-season three. You've got War's relationship with Kern there as well, the mighty yeah. Tony Todd, who uh, he's, um, I think it's his second performance, second or third performance as Kern. At this point, I think it was uh, this second, two-part story. Uh, I think yeah. Sins of the Father was his first, wasn't it? And this right. probably would have been his second. I'd have to go back and check. Yeah, I, I tell, yeah he turned up one more time as well in uh, DS9 Season 4 as well. But uh, And of course, while Duras was killed by Worf over the Revenge of Kayla in Reunion, this episode features the debut of Lursa and Beitor, the Duras sisters as well, who... Um, I love them. I think, I think they're great. And, I, and I, again, I wish they'd been it more. They're, they're quite fun. Mm-hmm. And maybe shouldn't have been the villains with, of the next generation. I think having Klingons as the villains of next gen or one of the villains maybe didn't work for me. But that's for another other side. But they are they are great. They're they're entertaining and they they feel much more they feel much more Romulan, which makes sense really in the context of the episode. The Romulans are kind of stirring the pot in yeah. the, in the stories we find out. They're much more manipulative and deceitful than than other Klingons, and um, as a result, they're much more dangerous. You know, they're, they're, there's no their ambition and their ruthlessness isn't all there for everyone to see. You know, that they 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 and the Klingons dismiss them as uh, as as weak women because of the, of the nature of the Klingon society is very patriarchal, yeah. isn't it? But uh, they are they're really dangerous, interesting villains. And I think it's probably the fe- the female villains, of course, of the of this story are really still the show. Well, you see, um, is it Tyrell? Um, Duras's illegitimate child or something. Yes, he's in there as well. And obviously they've, they've brought him in and you can tell from the off that he's he's got nothing to him. He's he's being used as a puppet by the, by the Duras sisters who they want the power. They just want to put him in the position of power so they can control him and manipulate him and basically rule the Klingon Empire. Well, absolutely. And of course, it, the one thing, again, you know, episodes like The Defector, you've shown how dangerous the Romulans are. Mm. And of course, they're big players in episode two. You know, I think Redemption Part 1 is probably a stronger episode because, there's, again, that powerful tension on what's going on. Picard knows that he has to remain impartial because of his role. Yeah. But he knows the Jewish are working with the Romulans. And obviously, Worf can't use the evidence to, to the Klingons because he's a Starfleet officer. There's a conflict of interest there as well. And, you know, the stakes do seem really high because, you know, while it's the Klingons fighting each other, the Romulan involvement means it's going to spread out to the Federation as well. And it's going to be, you know, the the danger of, of coming to along the scales of what happens with the Dominion War eventually. You know, the Romulans and Klingons and, and the Federation all caught up in this conflict. And uh, I, I guess it, again, feels a little bit less grandiose maybe than the politics and conflicts of DS9. But but I think that, that kind of took this kind of story to his natural conclusion. Again, Ron D. Moore was part of that. And this is him playing that sandbox really and playing out with the kind of different political powers different races all kind of working against each other as well which which makes it more interesting tv yeah absolutely i'm going to be uh, a little bit honest now as well right back in the teaser episode you asked me if there was an opinion i had about star trek 
uh, that uh, that probably would get me kicked out of Star Trek clubs. And I can't believe I didn't think of this one, but I've never been a big fan of Klingon stories. <laughs> when you mentioned Redemption to me that you were going to be covering, I thought, yeah, I'm not going to say anything when you first mentioned it. But um, Redemption is not one of my favourite stories. <laughs> it, I, 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 can, I can fully understand its importance in Star Trek, but I don't enjoy watching it. I can see why Jem, my wife, who was on the Mental Health Podcast, she's the same. She hates Klingon stories. Mm. I can see why. I, the reason I picked Redemption is I think there are, there are probably some other better episodes. I, I agree. I think there's some good work in Redemption, part one particularly. Two, I think, falls apart a little bit. We could have gone with things like Sins of the Father as well, or Reunion. Yeah. But the reason I picked this is because this was Juan D. Moore's work as a full writer rather than just get involved in the script itself as a, a tell-play role. Because this is the culmination of what what Ron D. Moore was doing. Ron D. Moore was instrumental in developing that Klingon culture in the Rick Berman era between this show and, and DS9 and then very briefly in his role on Voyager even. So I think it's, it's quite important. I think we're talking about Ron D. Moore. I think that's probably one of his biggest legacies to Star Trek, I think, is the development of the Klingons from the, 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 the race you saw in the, you know, it's a natural evolution of the ones you saw in the movies. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot more depth and culture. He does it, I think he does it with the Romulans as well. The the defector does flesh out some of the Romulan history and backstory as, as well, a little bit as well, which which makes it more interesting. I think Ron D. Moore is a very good job of building races beyond their kind of their broad stereotypes. And I think that, that's what I think is, is really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think the Klingons, they can be very shouty and very aggressive and, very, <laughs> and honor and dishonor and stuff. And, yeah, there are some times that can, can get tiring. I think um, I like part one, though, because it does play into the idea of that kind of galactic instability, particularly. Again, it's what I love the Romulans. I, I, I much prefer the Romulans to the Klingons myself. Yeah, I'm sure you do, too. And I think it's the Romulan involvement in the story that makes it probably more interesting, probably more interesting than something like Reunion. Reunion is good, but it's a bit more Klingons fight of honor. Yeah. Which can can get a little bit tiresome. I, I I do agree. Whereas I think what I liked about Redemption, particularly Part One, is the is the is the Romulan's involvement that makes it a more dangerous situation, really. And of course, we got to see Denise Crosby come back. Picard has rejected Gowron's plea for help. <laughs> the Enterprise has left orbit. Coward! He didn't have the courage to face us. The Federation celebrate a... later, Terrell. We should not discount Jean-Luc Picard yet. He is human. And humans have a way of showing up when you least expect them. Yes, that cliffhanger. That's a great great cliffhanger. I think um, I mentioned, you know, go back to that, that teaser episode we did. I don't think it ever lived up to his potential. I think I love Sela as as a concept. Mm-hmm. It's so left field that you, you you wouldn't think how you know bringing back a dead character who happened to reappear in alternate reality and creating a half Roman daughter. It sounds crazy, like, yeah. but it but it kind of works. I I find Sela more interesting in a way than Tashiar. Don't get me wrong. I think we we talk about Tashiar particularly in our encounter at Farpoint episode that 
I don't think she was given the room to develop, no. but the other characters did. You know, seven seasons of Tasha Yar would be very different from Tasha Yar we, we, that we know. You look at season one, Geordie, arguably Worf the most, but certainly Diana Troy, and maybe even Crush, you know, they're, they're very basic, broad characterizations in that first season. Mm. And I think, you know, by the season seven, they're, they're fully fleshed out characters. They're characters that we, we enjoy watching. And I think she probably would have, would have done the same, but... um. Yeah, she wasn't there long enough, really, to to make that much impact. Whereas I think Sela makes an impact with kind of just who she is, really, visually, the way the way she interacts with the crew as well. Um, but never really delivered upon the potential. I think she's only in. Uh, she's not really in this episode. She's she's in the shadows, and then she pops up at the end, mm-hmm. and she's only in three episodes, of season five as well. I think she should have been a much more. She should have been the recurring current villain running through the rest of the next generation. I completely She should agree. have been like the villain of Nemesis. I think that would have made it much more interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, there are rumours of Sela coming back in Picard. Um, I would when, love that. Whether that happens in season two um, or season three, or, you know, we could see her show up in Lower Decks. We could see her show up in yeah. Prodigy. We don't know yet, but um, I, I I was always a we bit... need closure on Sela or what happened with her particularly. Uh, yeah. she she may have died in the kind of Armageddon that happens as a result of the uh, kind of the movie and then into Picard. But uh, by by the movie I'm referring to the 2009 movie, which obviously is a, is a sequel as much as a prequel to reality mm-hmm. reboot as well, isn't it? But um, yeah, I I I I feel we need we need to know what happened and I, I want to see her stirring the pot at least one more time. What I'd like to know, um, because I'm not an expert on the books or the comics, I would like to know if any of our listeners do read them and they know of any expanded universe stories regarding Sela. We'd love to hear if of what happens to Sela afterwards, if she's appeared in any books or comics. Um, because, Definitely. yeah, because I'd, I'd like to know if, um, if there is a version of events that comes later. So yeah, if, if you do know, let us know. We're very interested. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's briefly talk about, Redemption Part 2 before we move on then, because okay. it's a bigger episode. I guess Redemption Part 2 is the Season 5 opener. It's the 100th episode of Next Gen as well. Yeah. So the ID, IMDb synopsis is War fights in the Klingon Civil War. Captain Picard and his crew must stop the Romulans from helping their pawns achieve victory. So, yeah, it very much brings to light the Romulan involvement in, 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 the, in the conflict as well. And that's probably the most interesting part of the episode, I think. Yeah, exactly. And um, you've got the... You've got the minefield as well, which was such a great concept and sort of reminded you as well that the universe of Star Trek isn't just two-dimensional. There is 3D. And absolutely, to cover something like that, you've got to you've got to cover something not just width-wise, but height-wise as well. I mean, okay, part of me is thinking, well, you could still just fly around it. But, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They try, they try. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I guess talking what you were saying about the Klingons not being as interesting. I think the Kling the Klingon fighting in this episode is weak. I think the fact that he does a time jump skipping most of the conflict feels unnecessary. Could this have been a three or four parter? You know, think of like the the Enterprise when they did those three parters. You know, or like DS Nine do a six parter. This this could have. We feel like we jumped to the end of the story. We were beginning the end of the story, which 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 is a bit frustrating. Mm. But I guess. TNG was still limited. They, they never went past a two-parter. You know, family after both best of both worlds is probably the rare exception yeah. of, of that. But um, 
in one sense, it may it would have been interesting to sort of see more of that. But at the same time, what could you have seen apart from Klingons fighting Klingons? So I, I don't know. You you know the stakes at play anyway. I, I guess what one thing Redemption Part Two does is you know draw into what the actual real threat is, and it's not the Klingons. It's it's the Romulans, and I think Sela is the best part of the episode. You know when she turns up on the view screen and, and Picard's reaction is like, yes, what the hell is happening? It, it's great. And she completely throws him off his, off his balance, mm-hmm. doesn't he? You know, that, that scene in that, in that conference room is, um, is, is great. And as well as that, you hear what happened to the alternate Tasha Yar and it's, Which is it's hot, horrific. Yeah. It's absolutely horrific. And this kid, this, um, this half Romulan sealer has grown up and decided that she wants to be more like the the father that abused Tasha than her mother. And you've got to think what kind of person is growing up to do that. But um... definitely, yeah. There's a story of of Tasha when when she was a few years old. Tasha was was a prisoner on Romulus and tried to uh, escape with with Sela, and Sela mm-hmm. basically shopped her into her dad and had. Tasha are executed. It's it's, yeah. it's horrible. It's a, it's yeah. In any universe, Tasha does not have a good life. No, exactly. I mean, you know, no. she was she was a victim of rape gangs on the colony that she was on originally. She gets rescued by the Federation, gets killed by a lump of tar, basically. Gets <laughs> yeah. brought back in wartime, next generation era. Gets sent back in time to an era where she hopes she's going to be a war hero gets kidnapped, raped, and executed. My God, she does not have it good. No, it's bleak. It's bleak of on bleak. It's she is the, I, it's, in way, it's, it's bleaker than the original story in a way. Because yeah. like, she, she came from a war-torn federation as opposed to a peaceful federation. So at least in, in that period of time she's on the Enterprise, it's a fairly relatively peaceful time mm. until, the, until the, the Black Tower appears, I guess. I guess the one thing at the same time, as much as I really loved the scenes with Sela and Denise Cosby's great as Sela yeah. as well she she really plays into that role I was disappointed there was no reaction from the rest of the crew mm. there's, a, there's a one scene in the conversation where they discuss Sela but you know this was their friend this was someone who they cared about and it, there's no reaction which is which is a bit of a shame but yeah. again maybe that's being a two-parter there's, there's only so much room and I would have liked to have seen Troy and Crusher and and I know Worf wasn't really he's on on Kern's ship, but you know Worf's reaction and the others as well, you know Data and Jordy, they could they all could have offered their thoughts, their feelings. Well, maybe not the Data, but you know certain how and what it means around Tasha and what happened to her as well. And um, I think that that was a shame. Again, again, that was saying was kind of short for in terms of the character of Celia in general. But uh, the the whole thing, I guess the, the subplot there is Data. As the commander of the Sutherland, we don't get to see him in red, which is a shame. I'd like to have seen him in red. I know mm. it is probably another episode, but uh, but I don't know. For me, the whole Federation fleet felt a little bit cheap. It did feel like they were saving budget at the same time. For a hundred episodes, you only see three ships. This big minefield is all on a computer screen. You never actually get to see much of it. No. So for me, a little, little bit of a shame. But um, it's I guess for me, for me, what Redemption Part Two, like Part One, does it's the stuff that Ron Moore did on DS9 in his sleep. It's that galactic conflict and the politics the manipulation the fighting it's, it's it's kind of it's all there it would just be taken more would take that to a next level when he worked on ds9 
Yeah. Just going back to something you said about data, even though data, as you said, isn't exactly the most warm person. Don't forget data had a holographic Tasha. So we did think a lot of Tasha. So yes, there should have been reaction from data when he saw Sealer as well, in my opinion. But, you know, just going back to Ron Moore a moment, even though I said that I'm not a big fan of redemption, the one thing I will say is that Ron Moore turned the Klingons away from that sort of shouty two-dimensional race mm. and gave them more um, uh, gave them more of a personality, made them more believable yes. as a race. And while I'm not a fan of redemption, you can tell that the the character arc uh, for the whole race is just getting better and better. And mm. yes, by the end of Voyager, they're a much, much more believable race. And obviously he only had a couple of, sorry, I'd say by the end of Deep Space Nine, actually, because yeah, they only, didn't redo anything with them, yeah. yeah, because there's only a couple of appearances from them afterwards. But by the end of Deep Space Nine, they're such a believable race. And by that point, you've had Martok, you've had Gelron, you've had, you know, countless uh, countless Klingons that we've seen. You, you've seen Worf get married, you've seen come through the Dominion War. And yeah, it, it, it's it's world building. And Ron D. Moore it is. is, I think, a genius at world building. He is. Yeah. Yes, and a lot of that stuff in DS9. Now, the fact that um, Redemption Part 2 has current suggested in Worf challenge Galwan, where he does it in Tacking the Wind at the end of the Klingon, the last Klingon story of the of uh, DS9 as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, the whole work with the Klingons in Season 4 and Worf coming on board and then the, the fight and Worf losing his honour again and uh, and then the, 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 the kind of the reforged alliance against Dominion, that is all built on episodes like this. Yeah. So yeah, as much, as great as those episodes are, and they are some really interesting ones. You know, characters like Mar- Martok is another one of my favourite characters from Star Trek, mm. and uh, again, he's sort of character that is only made possible by the likes of Reunion and Sins of the Father and Redemption too. Yeah, exactly. Right after Redemption, he did one of my personal favourites, which was Disaster. Uh, but that's a good episode though i like that one yeah but it's it's not one of, that he completely wrote he he did the teleplay on that so it's obviously based yeah. on someone else someone else's idea but um disaster you know particularly with picard stuck in the elevator with the ensign in charge of radishes i love that particular <laughs> episode then he did ethics another klingon episode yeah absolutely yeah um, they were facet to their to the their race. Yeah, um, obviously more of a crusher episode, but it was more to do with you know how to get around the whole uh, Klingon honor system and actually helping mm. Worf when he's seriously injured. Yeah, but then it's the first of my picks from Ronald D. Moore, and it's the first duty. And this is, when you first suggested the first duty, I was thinking, okay, that's an interesting one mm. one to pick. I, I do like the episode. Maybe because it's it's not as big as some of the stuff he's worked on, mm. but I think what it does very well is that kind of intrigue and kind of internal politics and yeah. conflict they're going on within the Federation as well with with, with his cadets and uh, saying that actually your next episode Pegasus really draws upon upon those mm. ideas as well because as much as he's very good at doing well building 
and you know developing cultures and characters and races this is something he does very very well too yeah absolutely and i did a, a rewatch of this episode recently as well uh ready for this uh, podcast and i actually watched it with ron moore's commentary on it as well because i thought i'm going to okay. try and get a bit more insight into the episode and it's quite interesting hearing some of the stuff he says uh, some of the comedy stuff as well apparently they used a shot during the trial at the end where patrick stewart had apparently fallen asleep but they just <laughs> um because he'd been you know several hours in quite a dark room and he just dozed off and they went patrick gave him a shout and they filmed his reaction and you can see in the episode he's got that sort of oh uh, uh look on his face and they say yep he's just woken up there <laughs> but that's great but they wanted to get to the academy it was the first time we'd seen starfleet academy in star trek um and and it was wesley's return obviously it was yeah so the just we recap for people who maybe don't remember oh, yes. as well so imdb synopsis describes it as wesley crush's team as an accident starfleet academy picard offers to help a starfleet investigation as to what happened and begins to suspect they are hiding something yeah so obviously um wesley and tom paris are roommates sorry not tom paris <laughs> um nicholas lacano Nic- nicholas lacano isn't it but he, he, he's, he is paris I think, you know, it makes it... it I, I, apparently, they couldn't use... I think they did consider Nicholas Locarno as the character for Voyager. And I think it was to do with legal rights and royalties to the writers. I, mean, I know maybe it wasn't Wanty Moore, maybe, but um, someone else. But they, they couldn't use the character for whatever reason it was. So they created the character of Tom Paris. But Listen. this could absolutely be... If, if this character was Tom Paris, it would make sense in the context of where Paris's storyline does go yeah. in Voyager as well. There's... um. I don't think Ronald D. Moore is completely over the fact that they didn't use Locarno for Voyager because he, he makes this sort of cryptic comment in the commentary of First Duty and he says, well, it's, it's quite funny because the money could have been going this way and instead it's going another way. But um, I, I think he's um, he's still a little bit peeved off about it, let's say. You watch the episode, you think this is Tom Paris anyway. Oh, I, yeah. I, I watch it and it, it doesn't matter, it's called Nicholas Lacano, he's Tom Paris. And this is this is the first appearance of him, right, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and he says as well, it's a first, uh, a one-syllable first name followed by a surname, which is a location. <laughs> so they said it's clearly based on, um, Tom Paris is clearly based on Nick Lacano. And yeah. the original idea for it was that it was showing all about honour between classmates and that loyalty that you get when you go in through some sort of military academy. And they said the original concept of the show was that Wesley was not going to break. He was not going to come clean. He was not going to say what had happened. Uh, The whole thing about guilt tripping him from the cadets who'd been killed. I forgot the cadet's name at the moment. But they said that the cadet's father the scene where he comes in and guilt trips him, that wouldn't have happened. And the person eventually who would have come out and said, yeah, we did the Colbert starburst, was going to be Locarno. And uh, Wesley's, right. yeah, and Wesley's story was going to be downhill from there. But... Well, I did hear one, I I think according to INDB, I never know whether this is true or it's true, but an earlier draft of the script had Wesley commit suicide. And that sounds quite severe. But then, of course, the idea is... Then the idea is that no one will ever forget the scandal. 
uh, as a result of what happened. And that sounds quite severe. The idea of Wesley committing suicide over it seems very, very dark. And uh, not saying we take to be taken lightly, certainly, but it's a. I don't, I don't know. It's. I think what you're saying sounds interesting. That maybe this is this is because this is the first episode, isn't it, where Wesley, Wesley's path in Starfleet mm. kind of comes to an end. When he turns up in season seven, he goes off the travel, doesn't he? He doesn't actually remain a Starfleet officer. I don't. I, don't, I, don't, I know. He's, I know he's got um, a cameo appearance in Nemesis, but that's at Riker and Troy's wedding. I don't think it's ever made clear. But I assume that it's like this episode which sets Wesley's path being away from Starfleet. Yeah, yeah, he he obviously gets more and more disillusioned by Starfleet over the course of this episode, uh, and then, as you said, by Journey's End, he's obviously decided to jack it in and uh, throw in with the Traveller. Mm. I had heard something that said that he had he'd done what he could with the Traveller, and he was now back in Starfleet in Nemesis. That's why he's yeah. on the ship. Oh, okay, but I don't know. In all honesty, I think yeah. that's probably another book or comic uh, variation of the story there. But um, of course, yeah. I think that Nicholas Lacano wanted to end his academy career in a blaze of glory, and that he convinced the four of you to learn the Colvard Starburst for the commencement demonstration. If it worked, it would thrill the assembled guests, and Lacano would graduate as a living legend well it didn't work and Joshua Albert paid the price am I correct cadet I asked you a question am I correct I choose not to answer sir you choose not to answer I think Wesley's relationship with Picard is an interesting one as well. Mm. And, you know, I'd like to see, I'm sure Will Wheaton would come back and, and play Wesley in some form in Picard if, if asked as well. I think I get a feeling with a lot of the next generation cast, the main regular, the main and the, and the recurring cast, that it's probably a, a more matter of, of when as opposed to if, you know, they're, they're obviously they're probably doing the right thing of not making it a next generation series again. It doesn't make very different with Picard, mm. but I think I would, yeah, I'd like to see Wesley at some point to see because he's one of those characters who was a big part of the next gen, but you never really, you know, you got the ambiguous ending of him going after the traveller, but you never really know what happens to him after that point. So no, exactly. Like, Interesting to see that. And Will Wheaton has said that he would like to come back. Uh, he would like to oh, be good. on um, Star Trek Picard, and he is kind of involved with the franchise because he's done a lot of the ready room after shows that have been done with Picard and Lower Decks and this latest season of Discovery. He's been involved in things like the announcement of John Delancey coming back to Picard. Yes. Um, with the uh, with the when they did the announcement it was a Zoom call uh, between Will Wheaton, Sir Patrick Stewart and John Delancey. So there's obviously still a lot of respect between the cast towards Will Wheaton and and the crew, I should say as well. So yeah, I, I watched that. That was that was good. So yeah, yeah. It'd, be, it'd be good to sort of see where where his story does go if if he if he does does come back as well. Yeah, I I would like to see him. I, I know Wesley Crusher in Star Trek: The Next Generation. He, he had a bit of a, he had a bit of a bad reputation about him during the first couple of seasons. You know, he's the kid that saves the ship. But he became a much more interesting character 
over the course of the final seasons. Mm. And Will Wheaton has made himself to be a very, very interesting person since he's done, you know, shows like The Big Bang Theory, The Guild, yes. Eureka, shows where he, he shows he doesn't take himself seriously anymore. And, very um, much so. Well, in The Big Bang Theory, is very much an exaggerated version. He yes. was, uh, was it, you know, the car, he was like, Wheaton! It was, uh, <laughs> he, he was the car to Sheldon, wasn't he? It was a kind of funny yeah. guy going on there as well. And, and the scene where they play, is it Magic the Gathering or their version of Magic the Gathering? Mm, yeah. And you've got the moment where he just completely shames Sheldon into playing a completely insignificant card. And then he goes, yeah, yeah well, my grandmother would laugh at your enchanted bunny or whatever because she's <laughs> still alive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very, very much a good self sense of humour in the way he approaches as well. So yeah, yeah be good to see him. Uh, I guess a couple of points on this episode. Obviously, you talked about the first episode to feature Starfleet Academy. Obviously, yes. Ron D. Moore then wrote the DS9 episode Valiant, which focused on another group of Starfleet cadets yeah. as well, the Red Squad. So there's a kind of theme running there on on his work as well. And also, it's the it's the episode to introduce Boothby as well, who um who actually. Yeah, Ray Walston played Boothby, the, the groundskeeper, who has his relationship with Picard. But actually, I, I remember Boothby quite well, but I didn't realise his only other two appearances were playing alien versions of Boothby in Voyager. <laughs> so it's... it was actually, this is the only episode of him in, 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 as classic Boothby in the in the kind of Star Trek universe, really. Is it um, is it In the Flesh and the Fight? Yeah, In, in the Flesh and the Fight, the two, mm-hmm. yeah. The Fight is not a good episode. I was going to say... In the in... Flesh was an interesting... Was, interesting one like i guess there's some interesting ideas there at least yeah in the flesh yeah. i really enjoyed and it had the kid from gremlins on it but the fight really was not a yes. good episode um no, sorry no. to sorry to our colleagues over there in the janeway i i, <laughs> I hope you were uh, it takes you a I'm while sure to get to that episode. The fight when they eventually get to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right okay so before we get the pegasus then whatever episodes did he work on on the, on the next gem Right, but after the first duty, there's a few other episodes. He wrote the next phase. Uh, that's a great story. That's with my guilty Jordan pleasure Rowe. episode. Oh, no, it's one of my one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, it's not the guilty pleasure one. Yeah, um, I should say as well. I'm looking at the uh, script credits on IMDb. So if there's any sort of yes. episodes he co-wrote, I'm not seeing that on my screen at the moment. So um, obviously, hand- well, he, well, he, he co-wrote the first duty with. Naren Shankar, who now works on the Expanse. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Naren, uh, Naren Shank- is it Naren? Naren? Naren Shankar. Naren, yeah, I don't know the pronunciation. Uh, Naren Shankar is actually the other person who did the commentary on that um, uh, on that on the episode as well. So that, that if you've got the Blu-ray box set, I strongly recommend listening to it. It's very entertaining, and you can definitely tell that um, that he enjoyed working on it. But I think he felt a little restricted by Star Trek's internal rules and logic. So, yeah, it's a good one to listen to. Right, after the first duty, as I said, he did the next phase. He wrote Relics, which is brilliant. It's one of the best episodes of Star Trek. I think we need to give Relics and the return of Scotty the uh, attention it deserves in the future episode, I think. Yeah, we'll we'll only... uh, We'll definitely cover that in more detail on another episode. He wrote part one of Chain of Command. It's not the four lights bit then, but yeah, still, still, still good. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the four lights. He wrote the teleplay to Aquiel. Oh dear, I can never remember Aquiel. Oh, it's um, it's the Starfleet officer who 
is on her own on board a space station. She keeps getting visited by a Klingon who keeps attacking the station, and then they find out that it's actually the dog. Okay. Yeah, it's not a great episode. Well, everyone has a bad day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 think, um, I think this isn't one of Ron Moore's greatest moments. So, moving on. Tapestry. Ah, oh, well, we talked about it on the Q podcast, but uh, yeah. what an episode. Yeah, it came up with a story idea for The Chase, not the Brandon Walsh. The Chase is a really interesting one. I think, again, I'd like to cover a bit more detail that one because there's some really interesting ideas there, uh, particularly around the idea of the humanoid aliens of Star Trek as well. Yeah, uh, it, it's not the Bradley Walsh game show we're talking about here, by the way. No. Um, Rightful Air, he wrote the tally play for. Another Klingon one. Is that, is that the one with Kalos? uh yes it is um yeah is, is that the one the clone Kalos, yeah 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 sorry yeah the Klingon Kalos. then he wrote the teleplay for the first part of descent okay return of hill not the strongest season finale but uh i prefer it's time's arrow so yeah. <laughs> then he did the teleplay for the second part of gambit which i think was an underrated two-parter in star trek i quite enjoyed i think we should look at Gambit at some point, but yes. we, we, um, we've already done Genesis, so maybe a not a season 7 episode next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we'll, uh, it's going to be a few episodes before we get to Gambit. And Absolutely. then he wrote my second choice for today, which is the Pegasus. Oh, and again, this is probably one of the highlights of season 7. So yeah, I'll, I'll discuss the, uh, the INDB synopsis first, and then we'll talk about it. Yes. So in this episode, Riker finds out his former commander from the starship Pegasus and orders that entail more than what is revealed to Picard, who thinks the Enterprise is en route to recover the lost ship, and Riker is ordered to secrecy. This is a really, really strong episode. I think with season seven, I was watching this thinking, everything, season seven, you think, oh, it was tired, it was a bit, there was, there was a bit of the lack of energy in the final season because they were going to the movie. And I think for the most part that was, but when you get, yeah, I, I agree, Gambit's quite good, you know, parallels with Worf and, and, and the, mul the multiple realities. Obviously, the finale, all good things, and episode and Pegasus, they were all great episodes, you know. Pegasus, all good things, and parallels are up there in probably, you know, say top 20 episodes you know they're, they're great episodes and they're, they're worth you know they show that season seven still had some magic in it yeah absolutely and uh the guy who the admiral in the pegasus obviously went on to be john locke in lost yes terry queen's brilliant he's great yeah. in everything he was in great as john locke in lost he was it was a fbi character in alias which jj said before uh, lost starter and he's superb in that as well and yeah terry o'quinn pops up and he's great yeah. like michelle forbes you come out you're going to get a great performance from terry o'quinn you're going to get a great character from him and admiral pressman is definitely uh, a great character he's completely arrogant but completely believable too yeah and uh, another one of those uh, star trek man admiral <laughs> bad morals bad he's a bad moral term and it's one of those things as well, because I've, I've got this thing whereby, in my mind, Star Trek The Next Generation is only 10 years old. <laughs> and then, it is, isn't it? Uh, Maybe 15. <laughs> <laughs> but then you see actors like Terry O'Quinn, and you see how young they are in the episode, and you think, ah, it's really not 10 years old. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's... It's all about how uh, the Federation and Starfleet, well, and Admiral Pressman, is trying to go about getting around the Treaty of Algeron with the cloaking technology and putting that on board a ship. 
And they haven't just got a cloaked technology, uh, sorry, cloaking technology. They've got phased cloaking technology. And when he comes aboard and gets Riker under his wing and basically saying, right, we, we found the Pegasus, we've got to go get it. You can sort of see from Riker's point of view, it's like, where does his loyalty lie? Does it lie with his former commanding officer or does it now lie with his new commanding officer? And that's got to be, that's got to be hard uh, for Riker to it go is. through. So, not only was the Pegasus carrying sensitive equipment which must not be allowed to fall into Romulan hands, not only was there a mysterious explosion which seemed to destroy the ship but didn't, but it seems that there was a mutiny on board. Now, I've read the official report of the inquiry on that mutiny. But I want to know your version of what happened. I was on the bridge. The ship was at yellow alert. We were running some tests on the engines. Something went wrong. There was an explosion in engineering. Heavy casualties. In the midst of this crisis, the first officer, the chief of engineering, and most of the bridge crew mutinied against Captain Pressman. Why? They thought he was jeopardizing the ship. And you? I was seven months out of the academy, my head still ringing with words like duty and honor. It's probably one of Riker's best episodes in mm. a way because he has this moral dilemma between does he does he support Pressman, who technically is a superior officer, or does he support Picard? And you, you find out that when he was a young, fresh-faced ensign, that he essentially had led... Uh, he was supported the, the the then Captain Pressman against rebellion from the rest of the crew and was probably involved in, in, a, in a kind of firefight and the escape from the ship, which which then resulted in the deaths of everyone else on board. So there's quite a very dark side to this. I mean, that's what that's what I really like about this episode. It's a, it's a much it's a darker side of Starfleet, and between that and the mystery of what happened to Pegasus, that you know Riker is complicit in in this. I don't think they really. You know, I think they kind of allude to the end. There's going to be a, there's going to be a hearing. There's going to be investigations going on because he was an ensign. He's probably going to be okay, which mm. we assume he is because I don't think they really address this after after this point. But you know, you find this kind of good-natured, noble, you know, quite you know, com- is this well, the commanding commander? You know, he's, he's got a lot of presence and he's a uh, he's very good at his job. And you find that actually. There's a much darker side to 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 his past in Starfleet as well, which is which is really interesting. Yeah, Pressman's um, obviously got that sort of personality to him that Riker still still respects him and still you know still looks up to him, even though he knows that what he's doing isn't necessarily the right thing. Pressman's very persuasive and convinces him. And of course, the other thing as well is during all this. Uh, Riker goes to the hollow deck and sees what happens to Jonathan Archer. Yeah, so for that reason alone, <laughs> maybe we should just get on Pegasus. <laughs> there are a lot of people now who are going to be listening. Oh no, um, yeah, that that episode is a treasure. I know you said you liked it. That that was your thing, but no, sorry. As much as I love the Pegasus, if the Pegasus is is basically 
is it with what results in the finale of Enterprise? Maybe the Pegasus should be left alone. As well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no. It's like, let, let's let's ignore these are the voyages as a travesty is. Yeah, because I was going to say there's going to be because... there's going to be some people yeah. who don't know why suddenly we're talking about Jonathan Archer. But it's doing yeah. the events of this episode. Enterprise did amazing work. That final season of Enterprise, because it only went for four seasons, yeah. does some really fantastic work in building the, the, the basically the found the Federation and work with the Klingons and the, and the Vulcans, and even some of the Romulan stuff. There's some superb stuff in there. And after all that great work in that final season, they had the finale, which basically is a hard episode of Next Generation, where Riker and Troy, who look too old to be season seven Riker and Troy, but they're in mm. the old uniforms essentially go back and visit the enterprise as Riker tries to work through the dilemma of what's happening in the episode the pegasus yeah. and so rather than giving the crew the enterprise the, the send-off they deserve they make it all about Riker mm. and yeah and they there are many things they, they get wrong with the episode but i won't say more because that is really uh saved for the expanse podcast yes. in the future but uh maybe maybe, maybe we'll uh see if we can guess on that one i don't know because there's, <laughs> there's stuff to say but uh I... yeah i think taking that aside the pegasus is, is a really good episode there's a, there's a whole that moral dilemma and the intrigue and the mystery makes for a really kind of compelling episode and the stuff with Michael Max and Romulan Commander Cyril is great. The tete-a-tete between Picard mm. and Cyril and the, uh, the fake pleasantries and lies about what they're doing both in the neutral zone. Yeah. You know, it gets some really, really great tension there as well. And, and, and that's great to watch. And I also believe Michael Mack is the first black Romulan on Next Generation as well, I think. The first time they show different coloured colored skin tones to the to the Romulan people. Mm, I think you're probably right. I can't, I can't think yeah. of anything. I wonder if that was to sort of lead into... To rock in Voyager because if you could get black makes Romulans, sense. It does make sense, doesn't it? Could get yeah. black Vulcans because obviously Romulans and Vulcans being raised mm. similar. So yeah, but it's, it's, it's I think it's also the last Romulan episode of Next Generation. And actually, it's a good it's a good Romulan episode too because as much as it is about Pressman and Riker's complicity and all this and what actually happened to the Pegasus, you got the Romulan warbird, warbird again great ships the Roman and Warbird Enterprise mm. just basically both essentially patrolling this asteroid field and they both know they're looking for the same ship and it's who gets there first and it there's there's a great tension so Picard not only is trying to find out what actually happened but also he's got to deal with this Roman and Warbird and essentially trying to avert war as well so there's some really uh strong stuff there with the Romulans in this episode which which I, I kind of really enjoyed too I mean I, I love Roman episodes in Next Generation and uh it's always great. I think I think they they were used best. They the DS9 they were they were more there, and then they kind of they they weren't used as well in DS9 because you had the Cardassians, I guess, who mm-hmm. kind of filled that role. Um, apart from to be there at the end um, with with the, with the war, but yeah. I think the Romulans in Next Generation are, are are so well used. For me, almost even the the Borg are the most devastating bad guys of next gen. The Romulans always felt to me like the, the bad guys of the next generation. Sure. The Romulans always felt mysterious as well, because even though you said they were well used, I think they were to the point whereby they weren't overused. They weren't just brought in just basically as bad guy of the week. It was always yeah. there was usually there was a damn good reason why you had the, the Romulans in an episode. Yeah. You've just reminded me as well because you've got Sir Roland Picard pretty much retreading the steps of what happened in the defector between Picard and Tomalak, basically saying, well, 
oh, well, we're yes. here. Why are you here? Well, we're here doing this. Why are you here? And it's very much, it's taken us right back to early Ronald E. Moore again. That's, that's, it is. Brought us full circle. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple of gripes with it. The timing of this was, I feel, was really wrong. It says 12 years ago, Riker was the ensign on Pegasus. So he went from ensign to commander in six years, because he's been on yeah. Enterprise for six years. So it kind of felt that that feels a little bit odd. No, then he, but even he says things like, he, he had a beard for four years, but now you've had a beard for for like six years now. The t- some of the timings on the episode don't work, but uh, for me, I think maybe had it been 15, even 20 years ago, it probably would have yeah, been more but believable. T- t- but uh, particularly this is an O-Birth ship. Yeah, but time in ship. Star Trek works strangely anyway, because how long did it take Alexander to go <laughs> from being born to being an adult in the space of about six years or something? Yeah, something Five like years? that. Five years? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Star Trek's yeah. time always goes a little bit weird. Yeah. But it's a good episode. It, it could have been a two-parter, mm. though. I think this could easily have been a two-part episode. Because, again, another gripe of a, of a really good episode is that when you get the escape from the asteroid, the end credits go yeah. so, so fast, you don't really get in the fallout of what happens. The the kind of the, the standoff against the Raw, the escape, the fallout of, of the revelations regarding the Pegasus itself. I think this would have worked as a two-parter. And uh, I think DS9 would have made it a two-parter. Next Generation, again, limited by more yeah. the episodic nature, didn't do it as, as well. But it's a small grind. Yeah, absolutely. But um, it, it's it's definitely one of my uh, favourites from Season 7. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that is almost Ronald E. Moore's contribution to Next Generation, apart from three other episodes which he did afterwards, which were Thine Own Self, which he did the teleplay for. Uh, he wrote Journey's End, to give uh, Wesley his um, final hurrah. And, of course, he worked on the first part of All Good Things. Which yeah. which, which I love. There's, very, there's no real cue in the first half of the episode, but it's still, it's still, it's still a great... Yeah. great we're going to do All Good Things on its own at some point, I think, because... I think as well, yeah, we did touch on the cue episode, but it does, it does deserve yeah. its, its own, uh, yeah. own screen time as well. And, of course, then he did the, uh, the, the screenplays for Generations and First Contact as well. Yeah. And, uh, Particularly, first contact is just it's one of my favourite. It's one of my favourite movies. Let yeah. Star Trek. Then we've got thirty credits on Star Trek: Deep Space Nine because obviously after Next Generation finished, yeah. he moved over to the uh, writing staff of DS Nine. Now, obviously, we're not going to yeah. focus too much on it, but obviously, that's um, that's all going to be more to do with uh, our colleagues over on the uh, DS Nine podcast. But we, we wanted to talk about a DS9 episode because when are we going to get a chance <laughs> to read the otherwise? And while he did, well, he wasn't a full writer, he was only part of the screenplay, we kind of wanted to touch upon uh, Season 5's Trial and Tribulations because it's it's an amazing episode and Rondi Moore yeah, was kind of exactly. part of that. So, uh, yeah, so we'll do a couple of minutes on that one then. So this one basically, for those who don't remember, and I'm sure everyone does, is Cisco tells two men from Temple Investigations how he and his crew went back in time to when James C. Kirk of the First Starship Enterprise exposed a Klingon spy with the help of Tribbles. So of course, this was the episode that was the 30th anniversary episode, and it's, it's a gorgeous fusion of DS9 and 60s Star Trek. You know, it's the base of the crew of DS9 going back into the episode to the yeah. trouble with Tribbles. And it's, uh, it's co-written... With, Rene Echeverria. With a story by Iris Stewart, Hans Beimler, and Robert um, Hewitt mm. Wolf as well. So, but Wandy Moore was very much part of that script. And there's 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 some Sue Superb here. So, rather than episode general, what are your favourite moments from Trials and Tribulations? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's it. 
I, I, I tell you some of mine then. So I, think... I have got some moments. I'll come on to in a moment. Yeah, let, okay. I'll, I'll pick up on mine. So I think the whole integration mm. with the original scenes are amazing. I mean, I know that's more about the special effects and the direction as well. But you know, oh, yeah, Brian Wharf Bashir and Odom mm. in the fight scene on 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 the station. You know, O'Brien being dressed by Kirk and the dressing down scene, and that, the way that works is brilliant. And of course, Cisco interacting with Kirk on the bridge—they're just so well done, so lovely done. You know, they could almost be cheesy, but because it's part of the third of celebration of the, of the show, it it's, it's yeah. superb. And I think the the one other thing I've noticed, the droll humour of the temporal investigators who are Dolmore and Luxley. That almost feel like Scully and Mulder there. They, they, they kind of play on, on the X-Files as well there. They're very bitter, you know, and every, every cliche and time trial dilemma mentioned comes up in this episode. It's very self-referential in mm. terms of time travel. What about you? Yeah, the, the, the fight, the, the dressing down by Kirk to O'Brien... Dax and Cisco throwing the tribbles out of the uh, the container. Lands yeah, on Kirk's um, head, yeah. I think every scene with Dax in this episode is brilliant. Dax is so good. Yeah, um, whether um, particularly when they're putting on the uniforms for the first time, and they say, "No, hang on, aren't you wearing the wrong costumes?" He said, "No, um, uh, command wore gold, um, <laughs> engineering wore red, and uh, and then you get." Dax turning up in that amazing dress, just saying, and women wore less. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love that she realised she dated McCoy. You know, he had the hand of a surgeon. <laughs> yes. And of course, uh, <laughs> it's brilliant. And then crushing on Spock because well, she actually married mm. Adam Nimoy, his son, didn't she? So the idea of crushing on Spock's are quite, quite yeah. fun. Uh, and well. also, you get the moment as well um, in the corridor when they say, "Oh, you know, um, oh, I didn't realise he was so handsome." And so. What? Yeah, Kirk was quite the ladies' man. Not Kirk. Spock. <laughs> Spock, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And last point as well, the, the in-joke reference of the Klingons, Worf's refusal to talk about it. And uh, what I really noticed was surprising, because I know Ron D. Moore wasn't involved in this because he wasn't involved in Enterprise, but Bashir, they, they said, was it genetic engineering or was it a virus? Yeah. And of course, it was both, as you find out, in Enterprise Season 4. So that's a nice little, you know, whether they took that when they did Enterprise Season 4, I don't know, but there's a nice little uh, It's a long story, well. and we do not talk about it with off- outsiders. <laughs> uh, which which is right, because that's pretty much what happens in Enterprise. They're, they're completely embarrassed by what happened to them. So, yeah. Shall we just briefly go through some of his other credits that he did for DS9? Yeah. Uh, right, okay, as I said, there's 30 credits. Um, he had a hand in the following episodes. And again, these are like DS9's greatest hits. So I'm just going to go through the list. The Search Part 1, The House of Quark, Defiant, Life Supports, wow. The Die is Cast, Rejoined, Our Man Maybe. Bashir, one of my favourite episodes. I love that episode, yeah. yeah. Paradise Lost, Sons of Moog, Rules of Engagement, For the Cause, Looking for Parmac in All the Wrong Places. That's a great Klingon comedy episode yeah. yeah the darkness and the light dr bashir i presume soldiers of the empire yeah in the oh, cards on, yeah. rocks and shoals you were cordially invited yeah the klingon wedding of wharf and dax which which is which is one of my favorites i, I love it. It's, it it's it's so so funny that one yeah waltz change of heart oh, amazing. Yeah. valiant as you mentioned earlier the sound of her voice which mm-hmm. is a great time travel uh, well a time anomaly episode yeah, take me out yeah. to the hollow suite, which is hilarious. It's fun. Yeah. Yes. Once more unto the breach. It's only a paper moon. Inter-armarine in silent legis. Strange bedfellows. 
good Romulan episode, yeah. Tacking into the wind and the dogs of war. It's, it is again. It's greatest hits. It's it's uh, so so much there, yeah. and uh, and even his two Voyager episodes. He did two Voyager episodes before he. Uh, I think he put like he disagreed with the way Voyager yeah. won and left after a couple of episodes. I didn't um, think he liked the. And, but what he did, he did seven nine episode. He did a seven nine episode. What was that called? The seven nine one. Survival Instinct. Yeah, that that was a really good episode of seven nine actually. And then he did the Barge of the Dead, mm. which was a Klingon mythology episode regarding Belara and her Klingon heritage. So even then, still bringing in the Klingon, Klingon culture in, into Voyager as well. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think he was a, a fan of the way the writer's room worked on Voyager. I think he found it no, a little bit... And the lack of consequence and, and the ongoing narrative. Also, yeah. they did on DS9 in their sleep, you know, they, which they should have done with Voyager, but mm. I guess that's of a conversation really but yeah yeah and after voyager obviously he he went on to do other shows two episodes of good versus evil uh which is a show i've never seen but i've heard is brilliant but only lasted one season uh then he wrote with brandon braga mission impossible 2 which is a fantastic film and was my f- one of my least favorites, but it's fun. Really, it's, I, I love the Mission Impossible movies. It's my probably my least favorite Mission Impossible movie, but there's still some good stuff in it. So I, I loved that film. It was the only, it's the only uh, Mission Impossible film I actually had a copy of the DVD of. Um, right. <laughs> a short then called Another Life, which I don't know too much about. Do you know that one at all? No. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> yeah. I think just weeds through some of these. I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then Roswell High, ten episodes of that. I never watched that. Mm-hmm. Did you? I watched some of those episodes. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit nineties teeny boppy, but some, there was some interesting stuff in there. Okay. Then he did three episodes of a TV series called Carnival, which I think was the Gary Cole series. That's a that? really interesting show, actually. I, I I saw some of that, and that's that's very well regarded. Mm. Um, yeah, that that was the Gary Cole series, wasn't it? Um, no, you're thinking of American Gothic there. Carnival is this kind of it's travellers in the 1920s, a travelling circus 1920s or 30s, I think. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, I am mixing them up. Okay. While he was working on Carnival, he was approached by producer David Icke, or Eek, or Eek, or however you say it, to uh, basically about the development of Galactica, because he was working on Carnival. Uh, he had to wait for his contract to run out, and then he joined him full time. And from that point, he worked on the miniseries and pretty much all five seasons of Battlestar Galactica. And he was one of yeah. the showrunners for the show. And it's 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 probably it's still regarded as probably the greatest sci-fi show of the 21st century so far. And I think arguably so. It there's you know when it was at its height, the work that was done, the character work. The tension, the drama, the moral dilemma, the focus on war and conflict and uh, and comedy as well. There, there was so much, you know. I would love to do a podcast just talking about his work on Battlestar. There's yeah. so much on there. So, um, yeah, I mean, fan, fans of the show will, 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 will know exactly, exactly why. And it, it's a phenomenal piece of work. I, I'd i even go and say it's probably his best piece of work he's done. Yeah, I, I'll not argue with that at all. But... Yeah, I mean, he he rewrote the entire story while still remaining loyal to the original Glenn A. Larson show as well. Yeah, he has the same same the same con- that concept is still there mm. uh, um, from the beginning to end. Really, that search for Earth and that never really goes away. But it's it's that twenty first century post nine eleven look at war and terror and and just the the morality of of humans and yeah, there's there, you know there there are so much. 
the richness of those characters and the storylines and the twists and the turns that happen. It's it was that kind of classic, you know, water cooler moment TV. You couldn't believe some of the stuff that was happening. It was and it's just when it's at its best, it just blows your mind. Yeah. And if anyone hasn't seen Battlestar, I would fully recommend you you uh, you certainly watch it. Yeah, go watch it now. <laughs> yes. So, well, stop the podcast. I go watch it. <laughs> but I think we're always on anyway. So you can you time to watch it in a minute then. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess there's lots of you know, there's lots of shows you carried on. We mentioned Outlander. We mentioned For All Mankind. And you know he's doing some great work now. But uh, you know, going back to what we were talking about originally and and Star Trek, you know that work in the next gen was great. You know, next gen DS9, it really like a great hits and, you know, both the movies and, 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 and the shows. So, uh, you know, there's some truly great work there. Yeah, absolutely. And we should also mention as well that he was the creator and did uh, a lot of work on Caprica, uh, the Battlestar Galactica sequel yes, series yeah. as well. Um, it's very underrated. It's worth looking at as well. I, I'll be perfectly honest. It didn't hit the marks for me as much as Battlestar it, did. It, it's a slow build, but, though. I agree. It's a slow build. Mm. It's one that it, it, it starts to get really good and then got cancelled, fortunately. Yeah. But I can see why it got cancelled because it's a much more of a slow build. It doesn't hit the ground, you know, that all encompassing miniseries is so big mm. and then go straight into episode like 33 the season one which is tense and dramatic it doesn't stop whereas the much more of a slow build because you haven't got the big drama you know what's going to happen and you're waiting to get there and that's probably why it's a bit more frustrating in a way but when it gets good it gets really good caprica reminded me of the west wing in space and i was never a fan of the west wing oh whoa. west wing's one of my favorite shows <laughs> so uh... <laughs> I will leave it there. Then. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair enough. Okay. But I think that's a good play, a good place to end. Really, you know, he's, he's, you know, his legacy on Star Trek is huge, and then he's continued to go on to do great, great TV. You know, it's superb work. Yeah, absolutely. We want to do more episodes like this as well. So, if there are any people who've been involved in Star Trek, and do you want us to go through? Uh, some of their work obviously bearing in mind that we are a next generation podcast so um, yes. no, no uh, Gene Alcoon uh, requests or um, <laughs> uh, or um, Lisa Klink who are fantastic don't get don't get us wrong but um, we want to focus on writers and production personnel that worked on next generation yeah. as well as the other shows so yeah uh, let us know yeah. if there's anyone you want us to talk about definitely let us know if you are one of the production personnel and want us to talk about Absolutely. you. Absolutely. We'd love to have you on. Yeah. And uh, we'll be glad to get you on and uh, chat to you about your time on Star Trek. Uh, and by Absolutely. the way, um, uh, Ronald D. Moore, if you are listening, then uh, we would love to get you on for a follow-up episode and chat about your times. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> worth a try. It's worth <laughs> a try. <laughs> Definitely, Yeah. <laughs> Please come on our show. Absolutely not. But it, it, it'd be good. It'd be good. Definitely good to, to have people involved. And we hope to have some people involved on the show at some point, you know, as, as we progress. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a couple of people that are lined up and uh, fingers crossed we'll be uh, getting them on over the course of the next few episodes. Definitely. Okay, but I guess that brings us to the end of this podcast. Next time, I think we're going to be talking about technology fails in Star Trek, so holodecks, transporters, and the like. So that should be quite fun. Yeah. And I hope we have a couple of guests as well, which should be a bit new for us um, as well. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, exactly. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Podchaser at Beyond Farpoint. Hope you enjoyed. Speak to you next time. Bye-bye. Let's see what's out there. Engage.
This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Sci-Fi Feminist, a feminism and pop culture podcast. I think I binged the first season of Discovery in one weekend. I was so blown away because for the first time, we see this diverse crew consisting of an Asian female captain played by Michelle Yeoh, of course, who's one of my favorite actors, and various other characters of color on the bridge crew. And then most significantly of all, of course, is that for the first time in Star Trek history, we see a black woman, Michael Burnham, as the main protagonist. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Yeah, so we cut to night time. Harry sneaks out of the bed and starts looking up Voyager with his security codes, etc. Um, again, should be in underwear, but... Computer, show me Tom Paris. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> show me his location right now. Oh, he's 450 meters away. <laughs> hey. Oh my gosh, it was grinding. That's... <laughs> He's like, I have to go to a hookup, Olivia. I have to go to Bear. I have to. He found, he found him on, on Harry Space on Star Grindr. Trek Grinder, and he's like, it's Space Grinder. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.